shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that brought me victory. I do not know how Jesus came to love me so. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. I shall I think by now you figured out what we're preaching and what we're sharing about, Jim and I today, in terms of grace so amazing. It's not grace so amazing, it's grace so amazing. 
which it is, folks, to stop and think about that. You know, sometimes in this world, I think we sometimes forget, not grace, we understand grace, no doubt, but we forget its meaning and what it means for me and you today. And that's what I wanted us to share and whatever. I appreciate our church. We, we were able to get another screen for here. Eventually, too, uh, John Hall will be there by way of video. We're beginning that process and helping that uh, as well. Some, not a lot, but he'll be here. Uh, some, uh, Dr. Ken Allison, my dear, dear friend. I love Ken. I knew him long before he went to Eastside and became part of Eastside. But Ken will be back next week preaching here. Ken's founding pastor of Eastside. Been around a while, to say the least, but a dear, dear, dear man. I hope you have your Bibles, folks. We're going to be in Titus chapter 2. Right there is on the screen for you. Uh, this is one of the first for me is because operating PowerPoint and preaching a message. So this is going to be, I don't know what you're going to get on that screen. Right now, according to what I see, you should have exactly what you're supposed to have is a slide out there, which just simply says grace so amazing from the scripture. But I hope you'll turn to that. But before you do, Every time I think of grace, folks, I think of what Jimmy just sang and then I owe him amazing grace, I'm telling you. When Connie and I were at Brainerd Baptist in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Evelyn Gibbs, I'll never forget Evelyn. She was our organist at Brainerd. She played a 12-rank pipe organ. She had a rheumatoid arthritis, and I can remember, and Connie can vouch for this too, she would modulate, Jim, every key of those five verses of amazing grace. And by the time she got to that, when we've been there 10,000 years, it not only had you on your Feet. I can just remember the incredible time. The words of that song are incredible. John Newton, the slave trader, was miraculously changed by the power of grace. Matter of fact, old John Newton actually referred to himself as a wretched man. That's where we get that word in that song. The, 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 the word it means to be deeply afflicted, even to the point of not ever returning. If you are wretched, you are cannot change. It's, you're over with. You're gone. What it is, it's the picture. The word is a picture of the sunken ship. And when the ship gets to that point, it gets to a point where it can never be brought back to the surface. I know they're all kind of technology, and we've seen it on National Geographic and others where some of these ships, old ships, can be, quote, as they say, resurrected. But in this particular case, a wretch is a picture of an old ship that cannot be brought back to the surface, specifically unchangeable. And even more than that, a wretch was in the bow of the ship, the darkest hole of the ship, where you could never oftentimes return from. It became known as the pit. And here is John Newton in his testimony, a slave trader. A man who did not do things then by the power of God must miraculously changed and referred to even himself as one whom he could not be changed. Obviously, we know the story. God did, and God changed. I look at Revelation chapter 3, just listen. It uses that word wretched again. It says, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, talking about Laodicea, I'm going to throw you up. I'm going to vomit you, literally in the Greek, that's what it says, out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I need nothing. You don't even know that you are rich. Wretched. W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D. Some would pronounce it, and that's fine. Wretched. Pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
Well, the church in Titus was getting to that point. The word, the people were, they were turning inward, not outward. They were becoming their own selves, wretched. It became, and literally the Greek language says here, the wretched one. The word, though it even means, it means physical, yes. It means to be afflicted spiritually. It means to be so down spiritually that there is a point of no return. But then we have that word on the screen, grace. And we've heard the acrostic before, God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, it took God emptying himself completely out of heaven, everything that he would have, everything that he would own, to become the God-man Jesus. Wow, grace. We don't deserve what we have. We deserve what? Death and hell. But God has given you and me grace. And before I ever mention anything else, let me tell you three things about grace. Don't forget these. You know them, but I want to reinforce them in your mind. Number one, grace is never earned. It is never earned. You can't go out and buy this stuff. You can't work for it. You can't go to church enough. You can't study the Bible enough. You can't do all anything enough to earn grace. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, For you are saved by grace through faith, and that's not from yourself. It is God's gift, not from works, lest any man should boast. God's grace is not earned. The second thing, God's grace is a free gift. And I think that's the hardest thing for this world to get by today, is to think that God's grace is free. No strings attached. Ephesians, for it is, you are saved by grace through faith. It is not from yourself. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, as we just read, it is God's gift. And then the third thing, not only is, is, is grace not earned, not only is it a free gift, God's grace is the only way you and I can be saved. The only way. The Bible says it in Titus chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. I back up just a minute. He poured out the Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, watch this, having been justified by His grace, we have now become heirs with the hope of eternal life. In other words, for you and me, what God owns, we own. And you just stop and think about that. The Bible says the psalmist, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. That means you and I become an heir of such grace. Wow. There are five things about grace so amazing and what it does for you and me if we accept it through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at those verses this morning in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. hope you have your Bibles with you and you've got them turned to that. I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard. Listen to it. For the grace of God, this is verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sinful, righteous, and godly way. 
this present age. While we wait, watch this, while we wait for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 14, he gave himself us for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager, eager to do good works. Say these things and encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So, folks, there are five things that briefly this morning I want you and I to look at. And let's talk about grace. I just think in this day and time where Satan and the demons of hell seem to bombarding everything, you turn on the news and you find out who it used to be not if somebody shot somebody, but how many were shot last night, how many robberies were done, how many break-ins, how many this, how much of that. We seem like Satan has unleashed the demons of hell on this earth. But I can assure you, folks, God is in control. And the Bible says His grace is sufficient for all of us. There's not a thing that you and I will ever face that His grace is not sufficient. So that's why I just wanted to center something very simple this morning, but very profound, simply the word grace. Verse 11, it says, what about grace? It's very simple. The grace of God does what? It brings salvation. The grace of God brings salvation. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people. Now that word appeared in the Greek is a word that means to shine on, to become visible, to be done. No, it, it, it's basically the word is used to light up. If you're in a dark room and you take one of these LED bright flashlights, my son with the police department has one that will absolutely blind you when he turns it on, and it's made for that reason. But he can shine that thing at you, and all of a sudden you look like you're on a little spotlight right there. It's the visible light. And this is the word that's used. God's grace brings salvation. It lights you up. It appears. Among men, grace means the favor and the blessing that one person bestows upon another. But God's grace means something far more. God's grace is the grace that the Bible says it will always bring salvation. And you and I cannot be saved and will not be saved apart from God's grace. Period. You know, I, I was telling some folks a little while ago, when I was 11 years old, in our main sanctuary, main worship center, I can remember walking forward as an 11-year-old boy after I had talked to my dad. And I remember leaving this church on a Sunday morning. We pulled, that's when we used to park across the street, and we had the police officer out front, and Austell Road was a two-lane road. And I'll never forget, we got in my car, and we drove out here to South Cobb Drive and Austell Road, turned right down to my house, which was then across from Vocational Technical School or Chattahoochee Tech. Now, whatever. But anyway, and I'd go down there. And I remember going down that road, and I remember the old 58 Chevrolet my dad and mom owned. Had that big hump with the transmission in the back of it, you know, with front-wheel drive. You don't have the hump anymore. But I remember standing on that hump because I was short then, short now. But I can remember putting my arms up over the back front seat. And we didn't have seat belts then, you know, you didn't all that stuff. But I remember looking over, and I looked at my dad going down South Cobb Drive to our house. Dad, I want to know how to be saved. Will you tell me? Well, my dear father, and so many of you remember him, he about wrecked a car trying to get me home quick enough to tell me how to be saved and come to know Jesus Christ. And I was saved that day, not because of my dad, 
Not because of anything else, though you helped, though everybody had that part in it. But the bottom line was, I was saved by what? God's grace. Amen. Amen. Come on, Pastor. There was no... The ground at the foot of the cross is level. And it always will be. There's no hierarchy at the foot of the cross. God's grace is available for everyone. And the first thing that happens to God's grace, y'all, is that it brings salvation. And when you stand in front of God's grace, one is convicted of sin. You can't help but believe. And can't help but know that we're convicted of sin. Why? For all have sinned, the Bible says. Romans 3.23, and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53, we all went astray like sheep. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus Christ our sin, our iniquity. And then I think of Romans 3, verses 10 through 18. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Listen to that. All have turned away and become useless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Vipers' venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the peace path of peace they have not known because there is no fear of God before their eyes. I saw a video this morning at Laura Roswell, the 830 service that John showed, and it's Ron Reagan. This is the son of President Ronald Reagan. And that video lasted, I guess, Jim, what, y'all, 30 seconds, maybe at the most. Uh, His son is an atheist. He's very proud to proclaim that he has been an atheist all of his life, and he will continue to be an atheist. And now he's advertising freedom from religion that you give to that. And John, as part of his message dealing with the holiness of God, showed that little 30-minute clip. And I'm telling you, folks, when I heard that, my heart—I mean, my heart just kind of went down and sunk. But this is the world we live in now, folks. It does not believe grace. It's wanting to believe the other side because I believe in many respects in these last days, Satan, God has allowed Satan to unleash the demons of hell as it was in the days of Noah. So shall it be at the time of the coming of Christ. I mean, does it take a rocket scientist to see where we're moving where we're going, and yet in the midst of man, I, you know, we could read that and we could study and we and we could become so depressed for we walked out of this room. But the thing that changes everything is grace. It brings salvation. Amen. It lights me and you up, and it's the grace of God. We don't have to walk around with a sourpuss face. We don't have to walk around being so defeated and live live self-defeating life. Why? Because of the grace of God. And what the grace of God in bringing salvation to us do, it causes me and you to become an heir of what God owns. So that means as a child of God, we own heaven. Now, I haven't been there yet. None of you have. But we've got glimpses of what heaven looks like. I, wow. 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 I mean, to even think about the place that God has prepared for those who love Him. All because of God's grace. It 
brings salvation. Now, that's an elementary thing. We all know that. But at least for me, maybe not for you, but for me, I needed to be reminded of that. I needed to remind that in the midst of a, of a world that deals with death inside and out, that deals with hurt, that deals with heartache, that one day there really is going to come a time that all that is going to be obliterated, as the Scripture says, and will not be there. I can't imagine the place where there's no tears. I can't imagine the place where there's no death. I can't imagine the place where there's no sickness, no cancer. And I could go on and on and on. But God has promised us that. It, grace, literally brings salvation. The second thing that grace does is found in verse 12. And I want you to see that. It teaches us how to live. It teaches us how to live every day. Look at verse 12. Instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, soberly, righteous, and godly way in this present age. God has commissioned you and me, and in the midst of what could pull you down and hurt and destroy, to understand that God's grace teaches us to live every day. What's the scripture say? Grow in grace. That word's in the participle form in the Greek language. It means that we continue to grow in grace. So how do you grow? Not like an, a, 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 an infant to an adult. You're going to do that by the fact that you're growing up. This word that when it talks about for me and you that that grace to grow in grace it means intentional growth something you and i are going to have to do to make sure that we are constantly in a state of growing all throughout our life grace teaches us how to live it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust that is to reject renounce give up and have nothing to do with ungodliness and worldly lust. And I think about that, folks. Doesn't the Bible say for me and you that we are to come out from among them and be separate? That we are to be different? That we are not to be like the world? But yet, and still today, the latest stats from George Barnard say that you can't tell the difference between a pagan and a Christian right now. That's scary. We do, and we must stick out like a sore thumb. And I believe we are moving in that direction. A year ago, in all the venues of worship, we're trying to accomplish what we were doing. Together, we were running between six and 700 people. One year later now, we're up to about 1,100 people gathering for worship every day. Isn't that the number John gave this morning? 1,100 people gathering for worship. And we're just a small part of that. Josh is just a small part of that. Laura Roswell is just a small part of that as well. Lindolfo with the Brazilian. And congregation Haitian with 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 brother Niceron here is all just a small part of that. But together, God is growing. We're seeing people saved every week. We had baptism last week at eleven o'clock at Lower Roswell. It's exciting to see what God is doing when you see the big picture all around us. Why? Because of God's grace. God's grace is teaching us how to live every day. Shun, get away, go away from the godlessness of this world. But the Scripture says that in the last days, this godlessness is going to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And isn't that where we are today? 
Isn't that where this world is today? I don't mean to paint a bleak picture of the world. I'm saying to the fact that this is fact. God told us that this is what was going to take place. But what are you and I supposed to do in the midst of that? We're supposed to do what grace teaches us. It teaches us how to live. Even in the midst of a world that is godless and and so much everything it does, you and I are to practice grace. Heavens, folks, we are the heirs of the gospel. Amen. And to stop and think about what that means for us. This word that it says in Titus, this word worldly lust. Godlessness and worldly lust. All the desires of this world are not fit for heaven and cannot be presented to God. And all the desires, these desires that push you and me away from God. God is saying, get rid of them. Run from those godless lusts of this world, but run to Christ no matter what you do. The grace of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, teaches me and you to deny those lusts and to give up and turn away from anything that we cannot take with us. We kid about that all the time. We can't take such and such with us, but you know we can't. Somebody said that what you have and hold in your cold, dead hand is what you've given away. I'm not talking about your finances. I'm not talking about about your character. I'm talking about who you are as an individual. How have you given your life to others through showing grace? God's grace teaches us how to live. Wow. Such incredible words. For you and me. And then in the third place, not only does grace bring salvation, not only is this grace so amazing that it teaches us how to live each and every day of our life, I want you to know that this grace will always point us to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. It always points us to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13 of Titus chapter 2. Looking for the blessed hope, the rapture of the church, that's the blessed hope, and the glorious appearing, the second coming, two separate events of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, teaches us to look for the return of Jesus. Not to be paranoid, not in that respect, but to know that He says, I am coming and I am going to come quickly. Watch for the time when we or I am going to come and take out my church. And we know, and you've heard me say from this pulpit over and over, we are living in the days that the next thing on God's end time calendar... We say it in theological circles, eschatological. It's simply the word eschatos in Greek, which means end, logical, or logos, word, words about the end. We're talking about this. the, the blessed hope is the rapture. It's the time that only God knows where He's going to tap His Son on the shoulder, and not Satan or His demons or you or me or anything will stop that day from happening. And only God knows when it will be. But we are to look. The word looking in the Greek there, it's got the connotation of looking out of a telescope or binoculars. It's looking to search for something. My son loves to hunt. 
He likes to hunt now with bow and arrow. But what does he use? He'll pick up these binoculars that he has, and he's what is he? He's not just scouting out and looking. Though he's scouting, yes. But when he gets his 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 sights set on deer or whatever he's shooting and looking forward to or looking to, he'll take those binoculars and focus those in right to that object. And that's what you and I are to do. We are to look for. We are to focus in that one day the Lord is going to come back and take His church out of the world. I hope you'll get a chance today. We'll read. I want you to read it this afternoon. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen through eighteen, which shows you a voice by voice news account and a word by word of the rapture of the church. I can imagine what that would be like, but I do know one thing. It's a believer event. And the Bible says that one day we'll be walking. There'll be two out in the field. One will be taken and be gone, and we're in the presence of God. Wow. The promise of God is that through grace He has made us an heir. The promise of God is that we are to look, constantly be vigilant, look for the blessed hope. And then the Bible is very specific in terms of the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. I love these words. Take your Bible and put your finger right there where that. I want you to go over to the last book in the Bible, Revelation 19. Will you help me? Let's move over to that one in a minute. Revelation 19, in particular verses 11 through 16. And I just want you to listen to this. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. This is... The glorious appearing. This is the second coming of Christ. John says this, Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows, wow, about him except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike it with the nations of the earth. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. And that name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. One day, the Bible says, every knee will bow. And it's right here. It's his second coming when that is going to happen. All because of grace. All because of God's incredible grace. Grace so amazing, it brings salvation. Grace so amazing, teaches us how to live. Grace so amazing, points us, makes us look and anticipate with excitement the the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. And then in the fourth place, grace of God is demonstrated in the death of Jesus Christ. Grace is demonstrated in the death of Jesus Christ. I'm in verse 14 of Titus chapter 2. Watch this. He gave himself for us. A little word for that we pronounce and say in the Greek is the little word huper, H-U-P-E-R. And that word is a powerful word which means that he died in my place. 
He died for, he gave himself. Etiquette, the word to give, means to give without taking it back. In other words, once it's given, you can't go back and get it. Much like giving a birthday present or whatever, or Christmas gift, or a gift to someone. You give it with the intent that it's yours by the gift. You're not going to take it back. He gave himself. Huper, in place of us to ransom or redeem us from the lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession. I am so glad that verse is there and why I can say that we are his kids. We belong to Jesus. And when you and I stand before Jesus Christ in heaven itself and stand before Almighty God, what Jesus Christ who has been interceding for us is going to say to His Father, this man, as you can see, is covered with the blood of my, my blood from the top of my head to the bottom of the soles of my feet. You are sealed and it's your blood. That's what God will see. God will see the blood of His Son on you. Therefore, He cannot and will not see your sin as a result, he will say to you, welcome home, my good and my faithful servant. Grace is demonstrated in the death of Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us. You know, folks, I, I, I'm blown away to think that, to stop and understand again that I'm worth something like that. I don't deserve it. I can't be worthy enough. But to God, I am worth it all for Him to give His monogenean, the Greek one and only Son He would ever have, just to die for me? You're kidding. No, I'm for real. That is grace. Our verdict, our condemnation, our punishment was hell. But God bore that through Jesus on this earth. To the cross. And now, what a fitting way as we move ourselves toward Easter. Grace. Romans 5.8 But God proves His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. Wow, folks. What God has done for you and me is beyond anything. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, listen to this. He says, Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works. And do what? Glorify, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The reason we do good works, the reason we do what we do with grace being so amazing is what God did for us. We are in as much as we did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you do it to the Lord. We do it for Him. Period. The fifth thing this morning and the final thing, and I was, I was listening to John this morning and and I wrote, looked over to Connie, and, and though we, John and I had not prepared, pre, compared sermons in any way for today, he's dealing with the Lord's Prayer and a series on that, which has been absolutely wonderful. But then I looked, and, and his final part of his message is that the Lord Jesus must be proclaimed and Long, I didn't change this. This is how it's written. And then once again, Connie can vouch for that. But in the final place, folks, grace must be proclaimed. Titus 2.15, say these things and encourage and rebuke all with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Anytime 
Any time that we can say a word to anyone about God and His bride, His church. That's what people always hear me. They say, you always put God in the church. It's all together. It's never separate. Why? Simply because the church is what? The bride of Christ. You can't, there's not one without the other. People have tried to think they could, but it's, it's the bride. I mean, the groom here. You, you gotta have two to make it bride and groom. And that, that bride and groom, that grace must be proclaimed. Say these things. Proclaim these things. And encourage and rebuke with all authority. And let no one disregard, turn their back on you. You and I are to speak forth the grace of God. We're to preach it. We're to teach it. We're to bear witness. We're to exhort the people with the grace of God to build up one another in our lives and who we are. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two says, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether convenient or not. We all had days, you know, I just don't feel like it today. But the scripture says, proclaim the message, persist in it, whether you, whether it's convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Folks, we are to exhort the people of God. And the Bible says that we are to rebuke people in the grace of God. There is no excuse for men rejecting the grace of God in their sin. God has done too much in what He's done by sending His one and only Son. And man is a fool to reject the eternal gift of Jesus Christ. And you've heard it throughout Scripture where Jesus will refer to someone as you fool. The word fool is one who acts like there is no God. Man need to be told the truth. They need to be rebuked and put under conviction by rebuking them under the grace of God. Living the grace of God. Proclaiming the grace of God everywhere we go. So five things, folks. Five incredible things. First of all, grace brings salvation. Grace teaches us how to live. Grace points us to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. Grace is demonstrated in the death of Jesus, and the grace of God must be proclaimed. I think of that verse, and I'm reminded of it all the time that I've got on the screen. Verse 11 of Titus 2, For the grace of God has appeared with salvation. There's salvation only. In Jesus Christ. In March of, of 1978, or excuse me, 1748, I'll get that right in a minute. John Newton, good old John Newton, found himself in the most desperate situation of his life. During the voyage, the crew had repeatedly heard his bitter boasting of being a free thinker who didn't believe in God. He had even lashed himself to, to, to a mask during a storm, and he dared God, get this, to strike him dead. In order to prove himself real. The ship was leaking badly. And in danger of being overwhelmed. And beneath one of the strongest, most powerful wave in that Atlantic storm. And in a, in a moment in the weakness and terror, he uttered the words, Lord have mercy on us. That was the first time John Newton had prayed since childhood. And it shook him to think that he had stooped so low as to ask help from God. Well, by the time the storm ended, most of the rigging had blown away, making navigation of the 
ship almost impossible. After seven days of drifting with no land in sight, the crew was practically without hope. One man had already died when the captain came to challenge John Newton, and the captain was of the opinion that Newton was somewhat like Jonah. He was a curse to the ship. And the crew had even discussed throwing John Newton overboard, but decided to refrain from doing so. Well, as Newton returned to work, he recalled a Bible verse that he had learned as a child. It was Luke chapter 11, verse 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask Him? Finally, it was brought to himself, and Newton got on his face before God, and he's what he said. He said, God, if if you're true, and you'll make good your word, then I want you to cleanse this vile heart of John Newton. Four weeks later, that crippled ship made it to port in Ireland, and there he went to a church and, and made public his faith, began to be and was a powerful preacher and later became such an incredible songwriter as Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton died in London on December 21st, 1807, and he wrote his own epitaph. And here's what it says on his tombstone. John Newton... Once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. And just before his death in 1807, at 82 years old, a fellow pastor came to have breakfast with him. John Newton was blind by this point, and he was now obviously unable to read, and so he sat and listened to his friend read 1 Corinthians 15. When the tenth verse was read, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, Mr. Newton rose up in his bed, and here's what he said. I am not what I ought to be. How imperfect and deficient. I am not what I hope to be, but soon, soon shall I put off with mortality, sin, and imperfection. Though I'm not what I ought to be, nor what I hope to be, I can truly say I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. And I can heartily join with the apostle and the knowledge, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And folks, for me and you today, it is exactly the same. By the grace of God, we are what we are. That is grace. So amazing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, don't you ever let us underestimate grace and its power. It's such a word in the English language today, it's hard to define. It's hard to to realize and understand. We deserve death and hell. We don't deserve grace. But Lord, you brought us that grace through Jesus.
And He became God on this earth through a little baby in a manger to a cross at 33. And then later, three days on the first day of the week, an empty tomb, a risen Lord. So, Father, especially now as we move into Easter, we just pause to say thank you. We pause to say we love you. And we pause, Lord Jesus, to just simply say grace. Grace that is beyond anything we can ever understand. It is so amazing. I love you, Father. And I love these folks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Maybe there's a commitment to grace this morning. Maybe there's a commitment. Maybe there's a first-time commitment like me as an 11-year-old boy where a person would say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of Jesus Christ, the Savior of this world. I believe you took every sin I'd ever commit and took it to cross and died for me. And I ask you right now to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. It's done. All of heaven then belongs to you simply because by faith you intentionally invite Jesus Christ into your life. People say, well, Randy, I haven't been growing like I should. I need to grow more. I need to do more of what grace says. I can't answer that one for you. You can. You can make those changes in your life whereby there is intentional growth in your life. The song is very beautiful. The song is very true. And Jim's going to lead us in it. I mean, wherever he leads, I'll go. Where's God leading you to this morning? Oh, you gonna change that? What is it? I just, I, I just had. An, I'm good. I'm an good. Epiphany, and this is yeah, epiphany. No, I like that. I, I, I don't know that? what that means, but it sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Which is? I was just thinking the whole time I was sitting there, and you, I kept hearing words in in my mind, and the reason we have God's grace, and the reason God gives His grace unconditionally. And this is, you all know this, because God is good all the time. Oh, I love it. Let's stand together. Would you sing that with Jeff? Kept, that kept coming to my mind. Jeff and Derek, y'all know this. Yeah. God is good all the time. He put a song of praise in this heart of mine. God is good all the time. Through the darkest Thank y'all for letting me come. It's been good to be in the house. Amen? Amen. Thank you. I did okay with the PowerPoint. It does say grace so amazing out there, doesn't it? Hey, we got the meal. I'm learning. I'm learning. That's for sure. I just thought that would be easier, and you could see that with the outline, and you're used to seeing that with me. So, And when I come, I'll bring that as well. So let's pray. Thank God for being here. Thank you all for coming. Let's pray. Father, now may your peace, it just passes all understanding. May it go with us. May it guide us. May strength be upon us. But, Father, most of all, may your grace just fill us everywhere we go. And may we know the power of God in all that we do for you this week. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for these folks.
thank you that we've been able just to worship you and love and understand your grace. We are what we are because of your grace. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks. Thank you.